Well, welcome back to Rhythms of Grace. My name is Nate, and I'm here with Sung Kim. We've been talking about stages. Uh, you know, we started with rhythms, and now we've moved on to sort of stages, and we've talked through infancy. We've talked through early childhood. We've talked through all sorts of things. What, uh, what stage are we at today? So now we enter into school age, which is, according to Eric Erickson, and that's kind of the framework we've been using, is ages 6 to 12. So okay. right before you enter middle school, it's grades, uh, you know, your, your grade levels uh, age. And I, and I just want to reiterate that we're talking about these things developmentally, but we're not just talking about a chronological age. We're talking about what happens, sort of emotional development, spiritual development, Mm -hmm. and that even if I might not be chronologically in grade school, there can be things about my emotional or spiritual development that maybe had a root there or kind of like dynamics that we experience that I'm living in even now, even though I'm 43 years old. Yeah. Well, there are days when I still act like I am in <laughs> I school ha- age. I have been accused of being <laughs> child- childlike. Childlike or childish? <laughs> childish okay. is probably more accurate. <laughs> I, just, I just told you guys a story off air about the, <laughs> that I can't repeat here. That, that was definitely that on, was the childish. Childish. <laughs> yeah, was yeah. on the childish side. And we were joking around like, yeah, maybe in our last episode you could share that because then we'll have a whole bunch of people <laughs> unsubscribe. Everybody unsubscribe afterwards. <laughs> All right, so we're talking about school age mm-hmm. and uh, chronologically that's like six to 12 mm-hmm. call it, um, elementary let's say uh, what are we looking at in particular yeah so eric's e- eric erickson will say this is the age where you learn uh, a couple things and it's what he calls industry or kind of this work ethic performance versus inferiority this is the stage where uh, you, you will have you you develop and have memories of feeling inferior compared to others. And so if that is a thing that is you carry on into adulthood, um, you know, some of it may be rooted in some of these experiences back in the school age period, because this is the, the period where, uh, as human beings, what we need most is for your parents or your teacher or your uh, mentors or siblings or friends to say, hey, good job, you do this really, really well. But instead, what we often hear or what we often remember for every praise, you know, most of us, it's like five to ten, you know, hey, hey, here's what's wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's also the stage where praise from teachers or parents only belong to the very few at the very top. And so um, you can either develop a healthy or distorted sense of competence and industry there too. Oh, that's interesting. You know, one of the things that I remember uh, reading about or hearing about was even the type of praise that we should give yeah. is, is it's, it's one thing to praise skill mm-hmm. and it's another and far more helpful to praise things like effort, yep. which really does tie sort of to industry, right? It it's a little bit of like the grit um, that a child develops instead of just saying like, oh, you're a great artist. Like that's not as helpful as saying something like, I, I, I love that you always see something new when you're looking at, you know, like praising sort of the way that they go about art instead of just merely the skill. Yes. In fact, there was a whole study that they did where they had, ki- they told uh, one group of kids that they were smart and another group of kids, they praised them for uh, working so hard okay. yeah. at, at a test and then, um, and then the next round of tests, this was all an experiment, it was a more difficult test, and the, the group that was told that they were smart actually did worse because 
it's almost like they don't want to fail at, yeah. at losing that status of being smart. Yeah. But the other group that was told that uh, and praised because they worked hard actually persevered through the test longer because they were praised for their effort. Yeah, and they were affirming sort of what, what they had been told about themselves internally. So it's not it's not just about the type of, it's not just about giving praise, it's the type of affirmation that you give that can be so powerful. Right, and there's this whole, uh, going back to the whole idea of experiments, this this thing, this phrase that, we, you know, we use in common vernacular, self-fulfilling prophecies, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there's any number of variations of this whole scenario where, uh, researchers come into a class and they tell the students, uh, the teacher, hey, we're going to test your students to find the brightest ones in this class. And then they give the teacher a list of students who had the highest potential. And, and then uh, they, they track them throughout the whole year. And, and then at the end of the year, um, the, the, the students that were designated as the highest potential progressed the furthest and, and you could kind of see where this is yeah. going and the teachers were like hey researchers you need yeah. to come back and help us identify <laughs> the highest potential kids i know where this is going yeah and they were like no you don't really need us we chose these five kids at complete random, random uh, you know of course. And what happened is you just start to pay a little bit more extra attention. You actually had more positive expectations of these kids. And so this has a lot of implications, whether you're, let's say, a supervisor or a parent or a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, like the whole sense of self-fulfilling prophecies is uh, is a powerful thing. Yeah. And there's even some power there for those of us that are um, that are in those positions of authority that it's not just self-fulfilling in some way. Oh, I see. I, so we're all in some ways prophesying over other people, right? W- which they then rise or fall to the level that we speak over them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And, and the other thing that's really interesting during this, uh, this stage is they say, uh, and this cuts against the grain of just how I'm wired, uh, but they, they say that competition during this phase is actually not the inv- best environment for learning, that it's actually uh, cooperative learning that, that's actually the best, and learning how to learn from failure, learning from others instead of being just super competitive. Hmm. And, and it's such a hard mentality to break, especially here in the West. I mean, Right before this, uh, we started, uh, you know, got on this, uh, (coughs) started recording for this podcast. I was just on a phone call with my wife, uh, who, with along with our kids, uh, during lunch they watch a um, a a video um, that's based on what is it like history, theology, and literature. And so there, and so Amy was like, "Hey, yeah, we're right in the middle of taking a test on Beowulf," and uh, I said, "Okay, well, I'll let you go. I gotta go record the podcast." Anyways, and I said, yeah, when I get home, you could tell me who scored the highest. And she said, no, we're taking it together. (laughs) And I'm like, what do you mean you're taking it together? That's cheating. Oh, man. And and again, right as I said that, I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, there's that that competition kind of that's so ingrained in our culture. Whereas, you know, uh, and again, my wife is wired so differently from me. Like, the whole sense of cooperative learning learning together and i viewed it as cheating so what what makes the difference why does collaborative work better than competitive when it comes to learning what what is the difference there i don't know nate you're a lot more collaborative (laughs) than i am why don't you tell me (laughs) it is a good question it is a really good question uh especially at that age um 
I mean, I guess if we go back to some of the things we talked about in the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, like you, you are, you learn the, the skills that are going to be important, like getting along with others. Like, you know, you, instead of just trying to sort of master and accomplish the task, it's every bit as important how you're working with other people. Yeah. I, I think the other thing too, as you were saying that the th- thought came to my mind is that, uh, when you're working in uh, in a cooperative learning environment, like when when it's all up to you mm, mm-hmm. and you fail, yeah, like you are a failure yeah. is the message that you tell yourself. Yeah, but when you're in a group and you're learning together, you can blame someone else. <laughs> no, <laughs> is that what you do? <laughs> no, uh, failure isn't fatal. Right. And, and right. so you learn to realize, like, okay, hey, this is a setback. I can learn from this. Mm. And, you know, I mean, again, this is a whole nother discussion about failure, right? Like, um, and going back to Erickson's uh, framework of industry versus inferiority is that whole feeling of like, how do you handle failure? For some people as adults, failure is fatal. Yeah. It's a killer to your identity. And I think some of that has, uh, is rooted in this period of, uh, in stage of life. You know, you've heard the story of Maybe not, but Thomas Edison and and his 1,000th attempt at at, uh, inventing the light bulb. I I think a part of that story that many people don't know, uh, well, uh, well, a a fuller version of that story is after like the 2,000th attempt, uh, his assistant uh, was really discouraged and and came to him and said, oh, all of our work is in vain. You know, and I think that's sometimes how we think of failure. Like, oh, everything we've done is just for naught. And he said, no, no, we've come a long way. We've learned a lot of things. We know that there are 2,000 elements that won't work right. in, in building a light bulb. And so, I, I, again, I think that's really important in that phase. Yeah, and, and working collaboratively collaboratively is in some ways it's a safety net yeah you can fail in a way that doesn't speak directly to like who you are or your inherent value perhaps yeah that's good that's good so speaking of school age age of six to twelve that that's that's a long ways for both of us but uh what are some positive memories or what if what are some negative memories from that period for you so you know what is most interesting when I think about this sort of like industry versus inferiority, the example that comes to mind is actually about my older brother, uh, because my older brother, go- is that Chad, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. in in elementary school, I I he was not a rule follower, let's <laughs> say, and I remember like two things. First of all, like in second grade, he always got an evaluation on how he did that day, sort of like standing in line, you know, second grade, all those things about like not talking during class. And I remember, I remember seeing it like it was like a daily sort of report card and he came home and like (laughs) another like frowny face from his teacher. And he just wrote on it like I give up. Huh. Like he had, he had been criticized so often for not following sort of these rules that he was beginning to take that on, mm. you know, and feeling inferior. And then I come through and I'm absolutely a rule follower. <laughs> and, and all the time teachers would say, now, wait a minute, you're, you're Chad's younger brother. Like they, cause we were so diametrically <laughs> appro- opposed when it came to sort of like obedience, let's say. Um, and, uh, but it's interesting to, to realize that, that, the affirmation I received was for that, for mm. being a rule follower. And, and I've had to unlearn that. That's, mm. I've had to unlearn um, just sort of blindly following the rules. And I've had to 
teach myself to think outside the box and, and to begin to evaluate if there are rules that I should bend or break in order to achieve what I feel like I'm supposed to achieve. Mm-hmm. How about negative memories? I mean, I'm, I'm being honest, Sung. I was such a good kid. <laughs> I, oh, like, like, <laughs> this is where I did. I was such a good kid. I mean, if you even look at the pictures of me, I had like yeah. blonde hair and I like this angelic smile. I, I don't really have very many like wow negative, me- but you also have to realize how hard I was working yeah. to kind of keep the affirmation of like being the good kid. Wow, yeah, and, and which brings its own set of struggles. It right? does as an adult. Yeah, I, I mean, does. my wife is like that too. Like she, she is so nice and such a rule follower, and, and like we joke around all the time. Like even if she weren't a Christian, like she would be as kind right. and loving. Right. And we're always like, oh, kids, thank God that your dad is a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It's the only thing keeping you from uh, just like it is. Off. Oh my goodness, it is. So do you do you have uh, memories from that time, either positive or negative? Yeah, you know, I mean, positive memories. I, I think just um, you know, one of the family rituals that we had was, I mean, as a family, my mom loved Pizza Hut, so every Saturday we got Pizza Hut, and uh, uh, so just certain family rituals. Uh, even things that bonding with my brother when my parents weren't around, I guess, no, well, no, they, they did leave us. Well, my, I remember my grandmother was kind of our, uh, my surrogate parent because mm-hmm. both my parents worked. And, and so uh, that's also the, the, the phase maybe this is more like earlier, te- early, early teenage years, but you know, biking to Seven Eleven, getting mm-hmm. a big Slurpee back in the day when you could do that by yourself as yeah. a kid. Yeah. Um, so those are some positive memories, you know, negative memories. Uh, I went to elementary school where I was like the only Asian kid around. Okay. And so this, not only through elementary school, but even junior high and even high school, you know, being made fun of, being called names, <laughs> like terrible names that I, I, I won't pronounce uh, or repeat here. But just the, the, the interesting thing is, even though they stick out as negative memories, I just remember the narrative inside my head was like, I just ignored them. <laughs> um, and... Uh, I, 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 it was just almost like this, well, you know, you could call me whatever, but I don't really care. And always feeling like, cause m- we moved a few times. And so I was always kind of like the new kid on the block, always feel like I was on the outside looking in. Mm. And so, you know, th- that narrative has actually carried through even a- as an adult and even now, you know, which is kind of ironic cause well, you're, you're the lead pastor you're at the center of leading everything. Yeah. Well, you know, yes, but I constantly feel the sense of like on the outside looking in. I, I remember uh, a few years ago uh, after a worship service, I was, you know, like when we were smaller, everybody comes and says hi to you because you're kind of the relational hub. Yeah. And as we were growing, I remember just standing there uh, as everyone was talking to, to each other, people, their friends and people in their small groups. And and somebody came along and said, hey, Sung, I'll come talk to you because nobody's talking to you. Oh, man. And, and I was like, no, John, like l- look, look around the auditorium. Look at everybody talking. Mm. And uh, I, I, again, for good and bad, I developed the sense of like, I was okay being on the outside. Interesting. Looking in and enjoying everybody else's sense of connection mm. and not really feeling that sense of loneliness or disconnectedness. So uh, it's a good and maybe bad thing. But that, that kind of arose out of uh, some of these negative memories. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about 
this particular stage, it's interesting to think about what sort of affirmations did you receive that sort of allowed you to own what could be a, a negative sort of stereotype as an outsider, but to kind of see that as positive. I mean, you, you, are, you are one of the most sort of emotionally and sort of mentally resilient people that I know in the face of failure or like being the lone voice, you know, that doesn't really bother you the way it bothers a lot of other people. It's interesting to think about what sort of affirmations you received that sort of uh, allowed you to, to be that way. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, on the flip side, I do know that... Um, out of and this came out of actually my family life, but <clears throat> some of the uh, and, and this was probably older than school age. This is probably more adolescence, which we'll talk about next week. But um, you know, one of the things that you learn, and this is where the distorted sense of sense of industry or feeling inferior can kind of develop, is you learn to like earn, work harder is a way to earn approval from your teachers, yeah. and, and so that sense of performance, right, that, that starts here in the school age, and for many of us, that goes through adolescence and even young adulthood and adulthood and even now, um, and so that, that's a real critical phase um, to, to really develop that or, you know, you get a really distorted view of yeah. that. Yeah. So can we talk a little bit about um, how this, how some of this carries through? We've said several times like, oh, like it starts there and we see it carrying through. But how does that show up as an adult or, um, or spiritually or, you know, how do we kind of take it beyond just the, the, the age? Yeah. So (laughs) uh, usually this manifests in uh, like type A behavior, like this compulsive competitive kind of edge. And, um, man, I read this article this past week that talked about type A compulsive behavior. <laughs> I can I already know where this one is going to. <laughs> and there was a list of like seven, <laughs> eight, nine things. And I was reading this list and I was like, oh, my goodness. There's maybe one that I could like get, a, get, get away with like half a point. But it's literally every single one of these I, I, I could check off. And, and I just shook my head going, oh, my mm-hmm. goodness. And so because, you know, so I, I'll kind of go through the list. Um, and because I'm competitive, <laughs> I, I'm going to have you go through the list, too, All to right. see how many of these you could check okay, off. Okay, I'm ready. But um, so type A compulsive competitive people, uh, one, do as much work in the least amount of time. Uh, it depends. Okay, uh, that means no. If you have to think about that, that's a no. <laughs> okay. I All mean, right. my kids would be like, oh, my goodness, Dad, that is totally you. Yeah. Uh, go through yellow lights. Uh, no. I mean, maybe half, again, half, half the time. time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, shoot, I, I am embarrassed to say this, but, oh, man. Like, my, Amy gets, like, like rags on me for this all the time. And I, I, I try to teach my kids by my bad example. There hey, kids, don't do this. You just be a good parent. Oh, <laughs> man. Okay. They're like, they're like dark orange, right? They're not really <laughs> yellow so much. They're between orange and red. I say that all the time. My wife would be like, that was red. And I was like, no, <laughs> it was so orange. <laughs> so, um, okay. Three, they eat fast. Uh, yeah, I do that. I do that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I eat really you do fast. fast. <laughs> um, number four, do two things at once. No. Wow, really? No. Man, okay. I, I, I actually I have actually tried to be sort of unitask as yeah. often as I can. Yeah. I know. Like the whole idea of deep work, I know we're committed to that, but man, that again, I, I just 
Yeah, I, I'm four for four right here. I'm just gonna say, like, now that everything is on Zoom, there are many times where we'll be on a Zoom call and I can see like your screen reflected <laughs> like on your face or something, <laughs> and like every time the screen changes color, I'm like, okay, he's clearly not on. He's not on the Zoom call anymore. There's something else that he's looking at or something else that he's reading. Oh goodness. Okay. Uh, one, two, three, four. Number five, push the elevator buttons several times. Absolutely not. Oh, really? No, man, it doesn't oh, do any good. I know. It doesn't do any good. Oh, goodness. Okay. Finish another person's sentences. Uh, again, only about half the time. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I do this all the time, right? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can't delegate work well. Uh, yeah, uh, that one's me. That one's me. Probably. Yeah, I was going to say that that one's you. Yeah. This one is the only one that I said, yeah, okay, I, I could give myself a half a point. Okay. The others, I'm like full out, like 110%. Okay. Uh, compete with themselves if they are not competing with others. That I do. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I totally do. In fact, competing with myself is the only type of competition I like. Me too. You know, especially as a pastor, it's really hard to try to or want to compete with others. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just not the same thing as, like, I don't know, in other areas. But competing with myself, oh, totally. Yeah. Yep. Uh, always think they're in the slowest lines. <laughs> no. No? No, man. Oh, my goodness. No. Every single time. <laughs> you know what I honestly do, Sung? What? I pick a line and I simply surrender to my fate. <laughs> and I say, this, what will be, will be. And I just wait until I get to Man. the front. You are just showing me how, <laughs> yeah, how obsessive compulsive I am. I, I mean, I got plenty of other issues, okay. just, just not this one. Okay. Well, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, I got like nine and a half out of ten, and you got nah, the, three or four maybe. Okay. So it's interesting, but this article talks about like not only type A's but type Z's, mm. which I've never heard of. But they were they were saying that like it, it's the opposite, where instead of like trying to do as much work in the, in the least amount of time. It's almost like the other end where they go, like uh, they, they've learned not to try at all mm-hmm. because, well, and there's this helpless mindset of like, well, I'm going to fail at whatever I try anyways. Yeah. yeah. And so um, I don't know how that's really related to, uh, somehow that's related to industry and inferiority, right? That, that sense of like, well, why try? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm a failure. Nothing I do ever works. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I don't have much more thoughts than that because I'm like, I, I just don't know what that feels like. No, I mean, it's interesting. I, I actually probably would uh, associate with that more than type A. But one of the things that I've regularly sort of processed myself and with my kids is that in some ways not trying and trying really hard are, are in my experience, two sides of the same coin. Yeah. There, there really can be a perfectionist route to both of those. Oh, that's good. One where you're like, w- gonna, you're going to work your butt off to try to do it perfectly. And then there's one where it's like, well, if I don't try, I won't fail. <laughs> but really, like fear of failure is at the root of both of those. Right. right? And so I definitely am more type Z, but it also is uh, like a crippling fear of failure. Mm-hmm. It, like, but it just moves me in that direction. Yeah. You know, so kind of bringing this around to maybe spiritual practices and, and how to how to kind of go beyond some of these um, uh, issues uh, that we all carry even into adulthood. I, I'm going to kind of tap into the uh, practice or, or or a phrase in Ignatian spirituality where they talk about a contemplative in action. Mm. Where and you have you heard of that? Uh, I, 
I think if you describe the concept, uh, okay. the answer will probably be yes. Okay, it's uh, this whole idea of spending time in self-reflection and discernment, uh, kind of to, to look at and make sense of your daily experiences and activities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so sometimes it's, and we've talked about this either offline or even on the podcast, you know, it could be like the daily examine at the end of the day, but it's yeah. also in the midst of doing it yep. that you are kind of self-reflecting in a vocational sense, uh, whether you're a teacher or, or business person, they'll, a similar phrase that they'll use is what they call a, a reflective practitioner. Okay. Somebody who is reflecting on the practices that they are engaging in. Mm. And they're not, they're not just doing it. Uh, they're continually learning and it's almost like they create this, uh, feedback, uh, feedback loop, yeah. uh, in all that they do. And so in a spiritual way, like a contemplative in action when they pray or when they do just simple things. It's not just like, oh, okay, I, I, I pray and then I check that off my list and I go about my day. Mm-hmm. There's, there's an, a, a whole other level of intentionality behind that. In some ways, it sounds like that's a, a tactic for not living either as a type A or as a type Z, yeah. but finding another letter sort of in the middle, which is like, look, we're all going to be, you know, even we're all wired in some ways to be type A. We're all wired in some way, except for you, to be a type Z. Uh, but but really what we want to try to find is is like a, 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 a place that sort of embraces those tensions or at least yeah. understands the motivation behind them. So is that like a type K? Yeah, that's what you're shooting for those middle <laughs> letters. You're looking for an M or an N somewhere in there. I, I mean, and I can really appreciate that. You know, as someone who um, I, I have not, I'm self-reflective, when it comes to task, I actually love to practice. I mm. love to practice things. I don't really like to perform, but I love to practice. What, what does that mean? So like I'll, I'll make something. So I, I love to make stuff in the workshop, but I'll make like three or four, like just right in a row. Okay. Like I'll make something and be like, okay, that didn't go very well. Cause I wanted it to go like this. And so I'll make another one and then I'll make another one and then I'll make another one just to try to get, it's like self-competition to try to improve. Okay. But so I'm very reflective that way, but I'm not as reflective about some of my sort of emotional motivations mm. or or l- whether it's a destructive relational pattern. And that is a skill I've been trying to learn, which mm. is just in the middle of it to stop and say, what's going on here? Mm. Not not just to kind of run headlong down a path that's well-worn at this point in my mind or in my heart, but to say, let's walk down this path sort of thoughtfully and reflectively, figure out what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, why I'm thinking and feeling those, and then we'll kind of decide, am I going to keep going or is this the time to like forge a new path Mm. to the left or to the right? So I'm not good at it, but that definitely is something I've been trying to implement. Yeah, that's good. Uh, You know, I I mean, I admit, like, I I carve out times, like, in the mornings and in, in the evenings, you know, and we talked a little bit about that a number of episodes ago. Yeah. Uh, but th- this is something that really has challenged me in, in a new and different way. I came across this uh, uh, quote from Mother Teresa, and, boy, it, it was like a dagger in my heart. She said, you know, and she'll have all these little lines that are just so good. But she's one line she says is wash a dish, not just to get it clean, but because you love the person who will eat from it. And I, I remember thinking, dang it, I, I, I'm a performer. I, I don't, you know, I, I may reflect at the beginning and at the end of the day, but I don't usually reflect as I am performing. Yeah. And so I just think, man, when I do the dishes, I just want to know how do I get this <laughs> done yes, in the least amount of time, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, 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 like, 
I, I read that and go, man, I, I don't even, I don't do that. Like, and, and so contemplatives in action, they're, they're not only aware of, um, like, giving love by washing the dish, but they're also con- contemplating the sense of receiving love because the dish and the food become like the unearned gifts yeah. uh, f- uh, uh, from a loving God, and, and you're receiving that gift from whoever is cooking or preparing that meal for you. Yeah. Um, and so there's a whole level of contemplation uh, or, or as another writer, uh, another book says, uh, practicing the presence of God, yeah. right? And he talks yeah. about that too. Like even when you're washing the dishes yeah. um, and, and it's just something I've forgotten. And so it sounds like the space that we're trying to find is neither like fully on the side of a, of a type A who is just doing, 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 or let's say a type Z who from outward appearances might seem like they're spending lots of time in reflection because they're not doing anything, but sort of to purposefully do. Does that, f- is that, is that kind of what we're trying to find? Yeah, I, I think so, right? It, it's, and, and so that everything that the person does, work or play, is is a means of giving and receiving love, mm-hmm. whether it succeeds or fails. Mm. Right, and, and I, I think that's that's something uh, again for somebody who's more type A. Maybe I'm type B. <laughs> Does that <laughs> count? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> like that, that. That's a real challenge, yeah. right? H- how do you? Because uh, again, there is. It's really easy for me to be like, you know, I, I carve out time to reflect and things. But even for that, it can feel like, oh yeah. I mean, I, right now, it, it's such a habit that it's mm-hmm. almost automatic. Yeah. But if I dig deeper, there can be a sense of like, yep, got that done. What's the next thing? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to observe that there is a lot more nuance than than sort of the Eric Erickson's sort of layout where like you want people to feel I- industrious. Mm-hmm. There, there's for those of us that that sort of live by faith there's a lot there's more to it than simply being able to feel like you can do and do and do yeah. like there are there are healthy ways to do and there are unhealthy ways to do and that's really sort of the additional dimension that i think spirituality brings to mm-hmm. our everyday actions that they can really be sort of um filled and motivated and empowered by something that's much greater than just the action like like your mother Teresa example mm-hmm. yeah that's a good word. So we've uh, we've worked our way through elementary school. Does that mean that adolescence is around the corner? Adolescence and that that stage Time is so fascinating. Voice cracks and acne. Here <laughs> here it comes. <laughs> so that's what we're going to tackle uh, on next week's episode. Thank you for joining us and we hope to uh, see you back here next week.